Hello, everyone. This is uh, Richard Wilson with the Family Office Club. We have with us here Erwin. Thanks for joining us, Erwin. No, good morning. Thank you for having me. Great. And uh, we're here doing an investor mandate interview to figure out what you're looking to invest in, what you're looking to source. We just talked a minute ago about how you're flying around on airplanes right now, you know, negotiating deals, looking for deals. Uh, whether you're listening to this live or seven years from now, um, you know, we're just five days after the Armageddon day of, you know, the virus kind of being at such a breakout level that the U.S. started to shut down normal business operations, as I guess you could call it. Um, so it's an interesting time. And I'd like you to just describe a little bit about the, um, the type of firm you're at, maybe the, the size of the firm, the type of investor you are before we get into your mandate. No, that's not sure. Uh, it was a third generation real estate family office. There's $850 million of assets under management. Uh, at one point, we were in all the, the food groups in the real estate sector. Uh, at this point, we're, I've been a, a net seller up until last week uh, when sort of the market stopped on multifamily. Uh, we've been a big buyer of suburban office and really a lot of logistics and flex office. Uh, we invest for current return for, for the family because that's how the family does its you know, philanthropic work in addition to uh, paying bills. Uh, so we're yield driven. Um, you know, so it's kind of an interesting time. And given, you know, the Armageddon that happened last week, I don't really see rates going negative. Uh, I think the Fed is, if they do go negative, I think that people are really out there looking for current return, more importantly mm -hmm. than anything else. And so right. you know, our mandate is to look for deals that provide stable levels of current return. We're not taking any construction risks because we've seen a lot of uh, state and local governments sort of stop or halt their construction process. And with everybody... Mm -hmm sort of sheltering in place. I don't think you can get employees to complete anything on time. Uh, so it, it's really what's in place today. Is it uh, a sector like industrial or flex where we know who the tenants are? We, we've been doing it for 20 years. Do we know how they're going to be affected by this uh, uh, you know, pandemic situation that we're in? And do we think they're going to come back and look for some rent abatement or not? Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, we have... Um our average client net worth of the investors that we work with most closely is 22 million net worth right now. But we have many families that are in the hundreds of millions of net worth. My experience with them is that if they can get a 10% plus income with a good piece of collateral, a good quality asset behind it, then they feel good about that. If they can get 12 to 15%. That's great. But anywhere close to 15% probably has a lot of risk or some sort of risk that's perceived on the back end and most investors that I work with get a bit bored if you talk to them about a seven or 8% income stream, unless there's also some upside on the valuation, et cetera. So what type of income levels, I'm sure it's specific on the asset and whether it's Nashville or, or New York city, et cetera, but in terms of a general yield expectation that gets your interest um, before the crisis in a normal quote unquote world, and then now, what type of yield numbers do you guys talk about internally as being acceptable or so high it's probably risky or so low it's not even worth looking at? Well, even before the, the, the this more recent blip we've had, we've always been looking to try to at least get double-digit cash flow. Okay. Uh, it's not, not out of the box. And by year two, whether it's through a value-add, through marking leases up to market on renewals uh, with new tenants. But now we're seeing because uh, of some of the displacement and some of the sort of everybody, the flight to quality, and some of the bigger players really displacing a lot of the smaller tenants as they look to rent to larger, more institutional tenants. So we're seeing the yields really come up in some markets. Like if we own a lot of stuff in Syracuse. 
and right. upstate New York, industrial and flex. And now I, I can buy almost on a 10% on levered return. So if mm. I'm going into the 10 and I take 60% leverage, I'm at 15 current and I really don't have any risk because the people need to be there off the major roadways or the railways. And so, right. you know, we tend to look for, for stuff that's not the A location because sure. the B's and, and the C's are staying full. At least that's sure. been our experience over the last 15 years. And I'd rather be the low cost provider than, than have the shiny new toy at empty. Right, right, okay. And if you were to order one, two, and three, the types of assets that you're looking for, and maybe a little bit about the regions that those would be in, what are you looking to receive in terms of deal flow from, from the family office club? Sure. We generally look for major roadways. Like, so right now we're really in, in pursuit on, on buying another five or six million square feet of logistics and flex. Okay. So I'm looking 65, 75, 85 north to south. We're looking 20 and 80 east to west. Uh, to the extent I could find something that's within a few miles of a port, like we saw a deal that uh, uh, one of the funds is selling two miles out of Baltimore, uh, uh, which we kind of like. Uh, but we're looking for deals that have good history, uh, good occupancy history, tenants that aren't subject to uh, whatever the occupancy or gathering new restrictions are under the social distancing. Right. Like normally you'd find in some of these locations, secondary locations, you might find a house of worship because you can't get zoning to build another one. But when you can't have more than 50 people, you know, in, in a house of worship, I think they could have trouble paying their rent. So right. if you saw one of those, in a great location outside the Beltway in D.C., but with this recent uh, sort of limit on, on how many people you could occupy it with, we decided to pass on it. Hmm. Um, but so it, it's major rails, major roadways, access supports. Uh, it's got to serve a purpose. Sure. Okay. What is the number one thing that's most specific that you would like to source? Um, if, you, if you're talking to your team and you say, you know what, we need to spend the most of our time on is this one very specific type of asset? Is it basically what you just described or is there another type or an even more specific description that's gonna help you get that from our organization? It's really multi-tenanted uh, flex and industrial. We've had experience okay. with, with, company, with, with you know, single assets where I have staples in 650,000 feet and when they go out uh, and uh, you know, your lender's trapping your cash flow if, if it's finance and then you have to sure. figure out, do you slice it into two, three or four spaces? So uh, multi-tenant is great. Small Bay Industrial is great. It spreads the risk. It's almost, you know, like, like the same risk-sharing profile as having an apartment building of 300 units. You figure, you're, you know, 90% of them should always be full. Sure, sure. Yeah, it makes sense. What is your $100,000 piece of advice that you could provide for other investors who listen to this? Maybe it's going to save them 100000 in fees, wasted time, a busted deal, paying too much for financing, something you've been burned on, they don't need to if they would just listen to this one piece of advice. You know, what, what's something you could share with other investors here? Sure, I, I would say that you gotta make your money on the buy. So you can't really overpay saying, well, you're gonna make it up at a value add or you're gonna make it up at in, in rent increases in year two or three, because you know, man makes plans and God laughs. We've all been in that situation where, you know, you know you say to yourself, well, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So you can't go out and, and project, especially where we are today. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> don't worry if you're not the high bidder. Chances are the high bidder or, or, or the second high bidder, they're not going to be there. That's what we've been seeing lately. Mm -hmm. uh, sellers have some flexibility. It's the brokers really that are, if it's a broker deal, that are pushing the numbers. 
Uh, if sellers need to sell, they're going to transact, even if you're five or six or even ten percent off off what the broker is telling you. Right. That's our experience this week. Uh, I would say do a lot of due diligence. So not only do you want to really look at uh, you know, what the historical financials are, I, you know, we go out and we almost do an audit. We vouch cash. I look at the last two years of bank statements. I compare it to the general ledgers and the cash receipts. And uh, so we just, we, you know, no one's going to, I can understand if you're going to falsify, you know, your collections, it's not going to be for the last two or three years. It's maybe going to be the last six months or maybe even a year if you were pumping up the cash and really mm -hmm. spend some time talking to the tenants. What are their needs? Have they outgrown the space? Do they think they have too much space? What do they think their business outlook is? Because that'll at least tell you whether the tenant is a sticky tenant and they're going to stay and renew, even if it's not at a large increase, or maybe they want to give back space. And if you can have a better feel for what's going to happen with the property going forward, that's some of the risks that you could help underwrite and at least you know figure in what your worst case scenario might be mm -hmm. after you close. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I guess on your comment on pricing, when you compete against an independent sponsor or a fund that throws out a big offer, especially an independent sponsor that might not have the money on their balance sheet, uh, I'm guessing you compete well against them in a normal environment. But in this environment, people might be even less confident of someone that doesn't already have their capital 100% put together coming to the table and not having those proof of funds um, from, from an organization like yourself or an independent sponsor. When you compare those two, they're going to take that lower offer from someone they think can close because you also now have the risk of the bank not wanting to close or them underwriting the asset. The bank might value the asset lower when it gets appraised. No one knows what the new appraised value should be. So you might be required to put more cash down at the last minute. And all those things must give you a major advantage in this type of a market. Um, I'm guessing, I don't know if you're seeing that yet because you're traveling so much. In the no, we are, we are seeing that yet. There's one asset we looked at uh, between 95 and the port of Baltimore. Mm -hmm. where we were involved on making an offer. Uh, it wasn't the highest offer, but, you know, the offer included, you know, 250000 of non-refundable money on contract. And we know there were institutional bidders in that market for by the port. And when it came time for the buyer interview, we found out that a lot of those guys are hoarding cash for funds because mm -hmm. they yeah. have a, a fiduciary responsibility to really protect the existing assets of the fund. And so some right. of them are stepping back from new acquisitions. And we told the seller, we were no longer, given the state of the, uh, the economy uh, and what's going on, that we were no longer going to offer hard money. And they said, we understand. So you'd be surprised what's really happening lifetime. And it's having the ability to, to really feel people out when you get on the phone with the seller. And don't okay. really let the broker get in your way. You really want to talk to the operating partner. And you'll always get the, 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 you know, the equity partner on the phone as well as part of these interview process. And so you really, if you're good with people and good with speaking to people, you'll be able to hear what's not being said. Right. And that really separates, you know, success from failure. Success, mm -hmm. you know, it'll, it'll separate you from necessarily offering too much because they really want to get comfortable that, yes, we have the equity. We've done deals with these, you know, six people forever. It's discretionary, even if it's not all our money, but it's a pool of, of partners that have done this together. We have substantial assets under management and, and you have great references. So right. I, I think that, it, you know, if you're someone that can pull it all together, I think, you know, at least for the near future, you're going to have an advantage. Right. Yeah, it seems like it. So, yeah, I appreciate you sharing here. And I know that um, a few of our members have met you at some of our investor summits before. So I appreciate you 
speaking at our event in San Francisco and at uh, you know at least half a dozen events over the last uh, seven or eight years. So appreciate that. And uh, what's the best way for someone to get a hold of you if they want to follow up and uh, contact you directly? I'm searchable on the internet, almost too too searchable. They yeah. can feel free to email. Like you know, give me a phone call. My you know my sure. cell phone is actually posted on my LinkedIn profile. Cool. So, uh, all right. You know, because it's all about meeting people and networking. Sure. Uh, I find sure. that, you know, the people that I've, I've met at some of your functions like a year or two ago, uh, one of them actually, I said to them, hey, I know you see you own guys own a lot of stuff with Amazon. I'm looking at this deal. This is like on a Thursday. They said, great, we'll meet you there on Monday. And I'm like, wow, you guys are just fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, and no, I appreciate you mentioning that. Yeah. No, yeah. but I've actually, I've actually had some good success with a few people that I've met at, at, at your function. So people that, you know, that actually operate funds, people that are sponsors. Right. Uh, and we've met a bunch of really great people. That's great. one of the conferences that I actually look you know, forward to going to, where cool. I find that at, at some of the conferences you go to, all you get is vendors calling you, and I don't have time for that. Right, right, right. Great. Now, I appreciate you saying that. I wasn't planning on uh, trying to get you to give us a little testimonial for 30 seconds there, but appreciate that happened. <laughs> and uh, looking forward, once we get our events resumed, seeing you at one of our future events, and thank you Mark for uh, sharing your mandate here with us today. Sure. Thank appreciate you. It. Take care, everyone. Sure. Thanks, Richard. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.